This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. Hey podcast people, this is Bentley Manning. Hey everybody, this is Kellen. A very blessed Advent to you all. This is the first week of Advent, one of my favorite, if not my favorite seasons of the church year. Yeah, it's wonderful to be in Advent, to be just immersed in the darkness, waiting for the light. One of the things that we're doing here at the church uh, to live into this Advent season is that we are reading short stories together and gathering on Wednesdays in the chapel uh, to discuss those short stories and to think about the themes uh, the Advent theme, themes that are present in, in the story. And I, I thought it would be fun, Kellen, since we just had our first class last night, to maybe review the short story a bit for the two of us to spend some time talking about it um, and to maybe talk about some things that popped up in the teaching and in the class. I think that's a great idea. Um, if you aren't sort of tuned in to... The Life of Our Parish, we read God Sees the Truth But Waits by Leo Tolstoy. Um, and I don't think we should give like a full summary of the text. Not at all. Um, basically, this man is accused of killing someone, though he did not do it. And he is sent to a work prison in Siberia for 26 years. Um, the real killer comes to um, the jail later on, and there's sort of this confrontation and um, moment of forgiveness being asked by the real killer and forgiveness being offered by the one who was framed. Um, and, and one of the themes that came up that was, at least on our end, that we thought was a clear uh, an obvious Advent theme was that of justice, mm-hmm. uh, namely God's justice and the expectation and hope that someday God will set the world right, uh, which is certainly a theme of Advent. Oh, absolutely. It's like found basically like really strongly in the first three weeks of Advent. It's kind of um, one of the most obvious themes, I would say. And I think, Kellen, that really comes sharply into focus at the very end of of the short story, where there's this interchange by Oksyanov, who is uh, the innocent man who spent all of this time in prison, and the man, Simeonik, who actually committed the murder. Uh, The very end of the story is enormously provocative and has given the two of us a lot to talk about. Are you going to read it? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. So this is, uh, Simeonic is pleading for forgiveness. And so it, uh, it starts off like this. For Christ's sake, forgive me, wretch that I am. And he began to sob. When Oksyanov heard him sobbing, he too began to weep. God will forgive you, he said. Maybe I am a hundred times worse than you. And at these words, his heart grew light and the longing for home left him. He no longer had any desire to leave the prison, but only hoped for his last hour to come. I see revelations standing at the door. 
I fell your hand for so long I don't remember anymore Life searched in miles wide and found more than that deep I'm so glad a decade on your fire still burns at me Oh, let them speak of a man who lives to die And in my bones beat the pleasure of your fire And my heart still breaks with the rivers running Wilder every day, it's how I know I am home. Listen, Tolstoy's no small thinker, is he? <laughs> I don't think he's ever been accused of that. There's a lot to talk about here, Kellen. Um, One of the questions we were pondering last night was whether or not justice had been achieved or... Um, you know, offered in the story. And most folks in the room sort of said, you know, human justice had not been, but maybe God's justice over time had been sort of worked out. Um, But then you had a really interesting conversation with a friend. Yeah, I called one of my buddies right after the class because I wanted to get his perspective on this. I know that he loves Tolstoy. Uh, He's up in New York. I gave him a call and he was adamant that justice had been administered, right? Human justice. Human justice was carried out. Now, what I didn't read at the end of the story is uh, Aksyanov is released from prison, but before he can leave, he dies. But my friend was, again, just pressing the point, no, like, human justice was administered. With all the information that the humans had, the people who made the arrest, um, they thought justice from their perspective, was executed. Right. And this is, I think, gets to the heart, I think. I mean, one of the themes here, right, is thinking back to the title, God Sees the Truth But Waits. There's this, seems to be this sense that uh, human justice will always fall short because as human beings, we do not see all the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when Aksyanov says... I may be a hundred times worse than you in the end. Um, what's wonderful about that line is given the information, I mean, we all react to that and think, well, surely not because the other guy's a murderer. <laughs> right. But if we're all being honest, we really don't know if that's true or not. And neither does Axianov. He says, I'm, I may. Only God knows the truth of our lives. I think Aksyanov, at the end of the story, um, you know, from my perspective, resembles God. Um, Sort of offers forgiveness instead of retribution or vengeance. Um, And then looks like Christ when he says, maybe I'm a hundred times worse than you are. This sort of like... Um, this deep humility. And I don't think it's false humility. I think he actually sort of might believe that um, because he, yeah, 
I think, has a sense that he doesn't have the full picture of himself or of the other person or of the world and and longs to be near the full picture, which is God. I think one of the things, like this is where this Advent theme is hammered home, um, kind of with both of these interpretations of the end, is there's this deep sense at the end of the story that we can hope for and expect God's justice at some point, <laughs> right? God's justice will be executed, will um, make its way into our lives and into the world and other people's lives. And that's an Advent uh, expectation that God's hope, the hope of God's justice will, will come. Yeah, and that God's justice um, is not <laughs> human justice. Oh, right? Like, it's maybe not what we would expect, um, that it's always paired with mercy and always looks to offer restoration and healing, whatever that looks like. Though they may surround me like lions and crush me on all sides, I may fall. Advent 2 is this coming Sunday, and Bentley is our preacher. Um, Our text is from the third chapter of Luke, and we have this sort of um, lengthy introduction to John the Baptist, where eventually we get around to hearing that the word of God came to John in the wilderness, and he went around preaching um, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and then it sort of refers us to the prophet Isaiah, and we have that famous quotation that feels so very adventy to me, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Um, so John the Baptist, here we come. Kellen, I joked the other day at a Bible study that um, John the Baptist would not be called by a search committee of any church that I know. I think you said that about Jesus. Him too. <laughs> yeah, I think both of them would not be recommended. And I say that as a joke, but it's also just to say that the Advent readings are a bit, I don't know, tougher, more jarring than we maybe expect. And every time we get to Advent, I'm reminded that there's an intensity to this season that is not necessarily reflected in the in the world around us at this time of year. Oh, that's because no one's celebrating Advent. Correct. <laughs> We've moved on. But here we are, Episcopalians, still celebrating Advent. And John the Baptist is this kind of fiery figure um, and is asking us to prepare 
um, for the coming of the Lord. All right, Kellen, I'm always never quite sure what I'm going to say at this point on Sunday, but one of the things that comes to my mind immediately is that Advent is certainly about waiting, but John the Baptist would have us consider a waiting that isn't quite so passive, isn't quite so boring, that the waiting requires a kind of preparation um, and this expectation that we, I don't know, need to do something in order to recognize and get ready for the coming of Christ. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's. I think Advent uh, pushes against any sort of passivity. And I, I just kind of what I'm thinking about is I remember someone saying once it was actually Martin Smith. So some of you all may know Martin. Um, I don't, but I've read Martin Smith and 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 listen to him. One of the things that he says is uh, the liturgy is not boring. They're just boring people. <laughs> and I, Ouch, Martin. I, it hurts, right? <laughs> yeah. But I love it because what he's saying is um, for the liturgy to not be boring, we need to walk into the space expecting something to happen. And that would require us to prepare a bit, to call to mind Uh, injustices of the world, our own need for forgiveness, our own need for peace, our own need for uh, contact, closeness to God. And um, of course, every liturgy uh, in and of itself is an advent and uh, an incarnation. And I think that this idea that John the Baptist has can be certainly applied to just our understanding of coming to church more generally. I think the emphasis on um, doing something um, is is important in Advent. I'm reflecting on Isaiah's words of, you know, every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low. And there's this sense that, like, the obstacles that are in the way of the Lord will um, need to be cleared or straightened um, so that God might make it to us more swiftly. And, yeah, I'm just thinking about, like, sort of the valleys of the heart and the mountains of the soul that we put in God's way that sort of not inhibit, but make the Lord's coming to us um, more difficult or harder to see. This is something I've probably said to many of you many times before, but I think um, as we go about that work to prepare a space for God to come more quickly into our world, into our lives, knowing what we're preparing for makes all the difference. Um, and of course, we're preparing for nothing short, nothing less uh, than the very salvation of God, as our text points out. Um, and knowing that that is what we are um, preparing for will shape uh, the way that we might want to wait this Advent season. Come thou long expected
Here's a prayer. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Empty Pews. We hope that you and your loved ones have um, a really blessed beginning to this Advent season. As a reminder, we have three services on Sunday, 8 a.m., 10.30, and a really lovely 5 p.m. Um, service of light with Eucharist. So please come if you're in town. We love to worship with you. And 5.15 on Wednesdays, we're going to be talking about a Flannery O'Connor short story. And you should definitely join us for that because Bentley's already feeling nervous about it. Yeah, if me being nervous gets you through the door, then come on. Uh, We can't wait for the class. Hope you'll join us. In the meantime, know that we love you. We miss you. God's peace.